I am a huge Tom Petty fan. Ooh, so awesome. let's just pick a song on what Tom Petty has done and uh, you know, we'll just we'll go from there. All but. right. You're listening to Rocking IT, where global technology leaders share their success, ideas, and passions to inspire us all. Today we talk to Liz Reich, who spent 12 years at Monsanto in the sourcing strategy area before joining MasterCard 10 years ago. She now runs the Global League of Asset Managers as the VP of the area. That is a really cool name, by the way. We started our interview trying to understand why and how and if those two worlds, sourcing and asset management, collide, collaborate and function in the modern enterprise. Thank you. I, I, I do. And in fact, I didn't really enter my career thinking, gosh, I want to end up in the world of IT asset management. It was not a thing when I was building my career in the sourcing world. So as, as I look back at what procurement and contract development and just setting requirements and making things happen, those were really very, very, very foundational to what does current companies need in the world of asset management. Because if you're going to track something, if you're going to say, these are the assets I build my business on, I need to know what I have and where it is then you have to have that relationship back to your sourcing and, and procurement organizations. What I buy, where I put it, how long it should live, does it have maintenance? All those things are interrelated. And we need to make sure that they're looked at as a part of an ecosystem, not the sourcing's done their job, you know, check the checklist, close the box, move it on to the next thing. Because if it's not fluid, then we're not really respecting all the knowledge and all the influence that the different experts can bring to the table. So yes, I, I really see that there's not just a connection, but a an ability to build on, on making those things much more uh, tightly woven together. So are you talking about Sam being both strategic and tactical at the same time? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that if you have the strategic initiative that says, I want to be able to go into my buying situation with the forethought of how do I acknowledge the entire life cycle of what I need to buy. You know, um, I have a saying, it's the, when you're buying your car, the time to negotiate for free oil changes isn't after you close the deal, it's while you're making the deal. So it's very difficult to go in and say, I think I deserve to have a better maintenance program, or I'd like to have these special circumstances after you bought the car. The time to do it is while you're negotiating. So what your asset management team needs, what your operations teams need from a, what do I have available to me? Who's tracking things like end of life, maintenance, um, special support, all those things can and should be part of your negotiation strategy and baked into your contract. So asset managers use the foundation of the contract to say, where am I with my, my assets? Um, if they're software, you have to establish things like your compliance position. If they're hardware, you really want to have a very tactical fixed asset lifecycle of when should it be rolled off. So if you're not working closely with your sourcing team, 
then you're not really maximizing the knowledge of your organization. But now you're talking about accessing and leveraging data that's within your organization. You know, the contracts that you sign with vendors, uh, for example. But there's also data out there that it's outside of your four walls that, you know, it's really important to be able to bring it in, collate it with the current inside data and, and give it to stakeholders so they can make decisions. And, and that can get very, very complicated because when, when we're having the conversation about assets, there's a, a starting point where people think, okay, cool, hardware, software, got it, let's keep moving. But as you really peel back that proverbial onion and say, what are my assets? What do I buy? What do I need to track? You find that there's a whole lot of other services and a whole lot of other products that you're buying that don't fit that classic model. What are you doing in the world of IP addresses? How are you managing your infrastructure facilities? You know, do you have HVAC controls? These things all become part of that broader ecosystem of asset that hasn't been really considered as part of a classic asset management role. So if you're tied into your sourcing organization to say, what am I buying and what am I spending money on and where is it at? And, and drive that, that, that coexistence of data means that you have better repositories. You can drive information into one central source of truth to say, you know what, I might have a buying mechanism, but when I look at things like distributed software, I should be able to discover for that. I should be able to see what am I running and where, and then I should be able to have a tool that helps me tie that particular information back to things like, well, what were the terms of my contract? How often can I use it? Where can I deploy it? And you don't want to make those decisions only things determined by human intervention. IT asset management has been around for a long time and Liz has been at the forefront of innovation. But in order to have a league of asset managers, she needs to hire superheroes. We asked her why she named it like that. That's exactly why we <laughs> named it that. I have, I have a, a, a goal to have the, 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 the Wonder Woman star somewhere associated with this particular product, but, but I digress. So, so yes, when we, when we talked about making the League of Asset Managers, it really was trying to offer people an opportunity to say, you have a special skill or you have chosen a career path or you have a specialty, I want to make you want to own that. I want you to be proud of the type of work that you do. And if I could wrap the league of asset managers around that so that you jump out of bed every morning and say, what wonderful problem are we going to solve? What cool thing are we going to attack? Then, then I've done my job. Because it's not that glamorous sometimes, but so many people need it. They don't know they need asset management in, in the corporate environment. But if you work in a world of technology, if you're using technology to get your job done, then somewhere in that particular ecostructure is asset management. So I want them to be proud of what services they're offering to you to help keep you, to keep you healthy, to keep you safe. But, okay, tell me more. Are these asset managers that are within your organization 
or are you going out and recruiting champions across the organization so that they can be the owners of their own process? That is such a great question. Yes, it's federated out. The, the whole concept of how do we make active material control of the assets that comprise our environment means that you have one of two choices. I'm making it more simplistic, but let's just, you know, for the sake of argument, either everybody in the entire organization is part of and reports to asset management, which, by the way, you know, spoiler, not going to happen. Or <laughs> you have to go into the organizations, the specialty areas and say, hey, you buy stuff. You buy very specialized stuff. That stuff could be middleware, software, hardware, SaaS. But you are the ones that know it. You advocated for it. You fought to have the budget to buy it. Let's go to that next level. Let's make sure that in the act of owning it and operating it and running it, you're fulfilling good data capture over every stage of that life cycle of the asset that you bought. So the League of Asset Managers is going to help you fulfill that potential. Do you have credible processes around how you plan for it, how you buy it, how you manage it, how you optimize it, how you dispose of it? So we have designed this entire concept that is a federated model to say, not everybody can be in asset management, but everybody that touches it has a responsibility to track it. So everybody in the world of technology has a role to play in asset management. So if, if you could assign some of your key people this role of asset manager and have them join the league, then we will give them training. We will give them opportunities for assessment, et cetera, et cetera. So that at the end of the day, the data that we need to be able to respond to any external question, and frankly, any internal question about what do you have, where it's at, what's it running, et cetera, et cetera. We have a way to answer those questions in a sustainable, repeatable way. So Liz, is this idea unique to MasterCard or is this something that you see that is being used elsewhere? I'm gonna say, I think it's unique. I have not found another organization that's doing it. I'm sure they're out there. I'm, I'm sure we're not the first people that thought about federating out this particular practice. Um, but is there a community that says, hey, here's where you go to get this wonderful information about helping to design uh, career paths or assessment paths or some type of engineering efficiency that captures asset management integrity, I haven't found it. So, so we've really been on the path to design it, to really create a structure that can bring us the ability to train and scale and optimize all those things in the world of what we have designated as IT assets. Okay, so it's fair to assume that this is working for you. But uh, I, I want to ask you about the other companies. Do you think this model works for all companies or do you need certain level of maturity on software asset management to achieve these kind of results? That, that's, a, that's a wonderful challenge. Um, if I were starting over and I was designing a, a company from the ground up, Knowing what I know, I would put in practices around asset maturity, around sourcing, 
around the, the way that legal and finance interact to make sure that I'm having very conscientious budget planning decisions. But the reality is, is many companies, they, they build on what are they selling? What is the problems they're solving? You know, what solutions are they offering? And then as they continue to grow and get more complex, the answer of, oh, well, we can't just have Pat track that on a spreadsheet anymore because we're in multiple time zones and we're in multiple locations and we have one-off different relationships and contracts. So I really think that there's a level of maturity that goes into it. That is that crossroads of, I had an expectation that I was doing a great job tracking it, but then things got a little bit more complex or I needed more experts and it was no longer easy to crowdsource that particular solution. I needed to have repositories or or knowledge locations for people to go to and say, hey, I need something, or hey, I need to renew something, or you know what, this solution worked yesterday, but I need a new way to solve a future-facing business problem. At that point, I would love for this matrix of how does your asset management acumen play into it. To implement software in IT asset management programs in general, you need people, you need money, you need resources, you need buy-in. And in large and small organizations, we see how that can be a major problem. It could be a challenge. What's your secret? How do you get the buy-in, the money, the resources, and the commitment? Well, let's break it down. When, when you have things like an external audit that says you need to be able to verify this or prove that, if you don't have the right tools to help your, your key experts answer to those questions, then you have a gap. So I was very, very fortunate many years ago to have an opportunity because there was this audit that came into play that we were able to settle in after an exhaustive review of what the industry offered us and, and a, a highly regimented you know, sourcing initiative. MasterCard decided to partner with Flexera to be able to achieve certain opportunities to meet uh, audit requirements. That was instrumental by and far to be able to say, now that I've bought a tool that helps me remediate a particular audit, what else can I do with it? You know, there's there's a, some really wonderful people I work with that say, you know, companies go through these, these huge initiatives to choose tools. And then they, they chose that tool because it solved one particular need. But you, you step away from that and you say, wow, you know, you're really only using like 10% of that tool. So, wow, I found myself in that predicament. I brought in a tool that solved a huge problem for me, but the potential of that tool was, was much bigger than, than that particular problem. So when we looked at all the different opportunities to say, what are we trying to solve from everything from... Can I prove I own it? Do I know where it's at? Do I know who's running on it? Do I know the products that it's supporting? Do I know how old it is? Do I know how much money I spent on it? Can I tie it back to a contract? Oh, listen to that. I mean, that's a long list. But if you can say, hey, I have a tool that I can centralize a whole lot of that information on, but I only have a very small number of people that know how to use it, 
is that really the best way to consume and use that particular contract? Well, let me answer that for you. No, it's not the best way to do it. So by creating a concept of federated asset managers that will now give different experts, different technologists, access to these tools to be able to go in and take a look at what are they owning? What contract did they sign? How are they consuming that product? They have a more vested interest to make that worthwhile for them. Listen, so what I'm hearing is many, many months, if not years of efforts where you first have to deliver it great results at the beginning to gain credibility. And then you have to collaborate with multiple people in the organization so that they too can leverage the data that you are making available to them. That, that is married to your concept of federation of the asset managers. The more you share, the more stakeholders you bring in and you make them realize the value of that goldmine of data that you have, you get more people to buy in and support you. So if it's worth doing, it's worth writing down. And if it's worth writing down, it's worth evaluating. So you have to give them a playbook. I, I, have, a, I have a really mean saying. I, I know a lot of lawyers. I work with a lot of lawyers. But I say, don't ask a lawyer. <laughs> I know. This is, this is recorded. Nice, this. Right? this is recorded. Don't ask a lawyer a question <laughs> unless you want a legal answer. So be prepared for the audience that you're addressing. If, if somebody comes to you with a problem in the world of finance, help them with the finance aspects of your solution. If they are worried about the legalities of it, bring the lawyers in to have the conversation. If they're worried about business continuity, bring in those experts. This is something, when, when we federate out asset management, it's to bring in that knowledge so that at the end of the day, the foundation data that people use to run the business, to make decisions, to plan and allocate money, to plan and allocate resources, it's all going to be tied to data that has been solid. It's been vetted. It's been reviewed. People who use it and touch it daily own it because they're the ones that are curating that data. They've the one, they are the ones that have agreed to the rubric that you're using as you make your determination of what's in, what's viable, what's prioritized. You know, we have to speak that same language. And so you, you have to make sure that you're giving everybody a place at the table and, and that's gonna make a richer outcome. Even in a federated model, Liz recognizes the challenges of SaaS, cloud, and SAM, traditional SAM, living together. So we ask her about how is it different and, and what is the key to success managing all of these different architectures and technical challenges. As you look at what have many businesses used as their um, capital planning exercise, their budgetary exercise, there's a huge component to operationally, what's it going to take for me to buy it and then introduce it to my environment, uh, push it out, update it, et cetera, et cetera. So as I look back at the many industries that I've supported over a rather lengthy period of time, um, SaaS was a fabulous invention because it allowed business-minded people 
to make decisions on how to move forward their agenda without having to be tied explicitly back to an operational infrastructure framework. So they were allowed to bring in things because it's like, hey, it's hosted on the outside. Hey, it's a subscription. And and there was a lot of freedom associated with that. So now as I put on my, my ITAM goggles and I look at this and I say, yes, but what have I given up to be able to allow for that type of speed and freedom? We are now at a crossroads where we don't want to say, what have we given up? We want to be able to say, yes, this is a good, viable business decision, but I still need to track it. I still need to know who has access to it. How is it being supported? How is it being protected? How is it being paid for? And without having good tools and a good practice for tracking who's got access to it, where is it stood up? What are you doing with it? How much data is flowing over it? You you just you moved the soap around the tub. And and we as corporations, we as ITAM practitioners, we as fiduciary responsible people in the world of business, we cannot not take a, a really strong stance on that might be easier to execute, but it does not relieve us of our opportunity and our responsibility. To, to track it all the way back financially to the contract and to know from a security perspective who's touching it and where and why. So it's another good reason. Let me take a leap for you and say, this is why federating out the role of asset management is such a, a powerful tool because it's now saying to those people that took that leap to take a SaaS solution or put their solution in the cloud to not be relieved of the responsibility of working with security and operations and architecture, but to collaborate with them, to be able to say, I am going to buy it in a different way and I'm going to stand it up in a different way, but I have no less of the obligations to meet the engineering principles or the financial principles that drive my business. So are we losing track of the traditional SAM, given all of the light shone upon SaaS and cloud? I think that's the, the sort of the tenant of who makes up a good asset manager, who is worthy of being on the league, is that they recognize that what used to be the hard work of infrastructure monitoring, um, network monitoring, software monitoring, software compliance, they're evolving. And now they're either bringing into the fold this extra focus on SaaS and cloud, or they're bringing in more people that are focused on that. And that we have that core group that still are the, the foundational ITAM practitioners that can say, this is why we track it. These are the elements that are important to us. This is how we make sure we're giving active material control to our, our business to be able to show that we know what we have and where it's at. I, I think it's a combination of both. So you mentioned Flexera, which is a sponsor of this podcast. Flexera is very well known as a leader in the software asset management space. And they also have made uh, strides and acquisitions on SaaS and cloud. How did your journey start with Flexera? I would say about six years ago. And I had an external audit that was uh, pretty iffy. And 
as we, we took a look at what was available to us, it was really a, a three-way brokered deal that said, if Flexera and this third-party company can come to terms with, um, this is a viable vehicle to be able to assess my consumption and be able to help me report on how I'm using the software, then, then we're going to move forward. What so happened is that while we were evaluating the, the, the Flexera suite of tools, we were also looking at all the other things that could benefit from, from that particular technology. And so I'm, I'm very pleased with how we were able to fold in more opportunity and take a look at more platforms and, and more situations that needed that kind of regimen. That the FlexNet Manager Suite is a it's a pretty powerful tool. It's it's not the easiest thing to use. Sorry, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I know they're listening. Um, but the good news is that they they are being very receptive. They they know that the future of how their products can be uh, consumed is is a lot based on how easy are they for non-ITAM practitioners to get into that platform and really run the wheels off it to see what's happening with it. And so that's one of the things that we do, not just in the, the world of Flexera as it relates to ITAM, but there's some, some other platform areas where it's not their sweet spot, say network and connectivity. We are trying to establish how do you make a repeatable process that allows more people to be clicked into that, that mode and and recognize how can I add value? Liz, I want to explore something that I know you're very passionate about, which is leadership. It's a topic that you're very well known and regarded in the industry. A lot has been written about your positions and your recommendations and your guidance and inspiration. But I specifically want to go back to a few years ago when you gave a keynote at an event, I believe it's a CIO vision event. And you talk about team building, teamwork, and, and those kinds of topics. But you explored a particular topic, an element of it, that I found fascinating. You mentioned something about knowing your cost to defend your value. There's a theme here with software asset management, but what does it mean when it comes to leadership? A lot of decisions are made, at least from my view of the world, based on things that 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 people value or they attribute value to and and sometimes in the process of decision making we will find and it, it can be anybody from an analyst all the way up to an executive this is my opinion this is what i want to see happen and if if they're very passionate about what they want to change i want to see you know i i want to see all the green marbles change to purple Okay, but what does purple really help us do for the organization? What are we solving for that? So th the idea of knowing your cost is to be able to help people when they're passionately involved with trying to make change to recognize that if what they're advocating for isn't going to really move the needle, then they might end up spending way too much time, way too much effort way too many resources, et cetera, et cetera, in not making a credible difference. So if you want to contribute value, 
If you want to really be somebody that is instrumental in making that, that monumental change, what's it going to take? If you don't know the cost of all the different pieces and elements, if you don't know the material cost, the human cost, the, the financial cost on something, then talking about a value statement is never going to be able to move forward. So you, you have to know your elements. And that was funny how you tied that back because this is sort of the foundation of asset management. Good, credible data is what we need to make decisions. How many times have you been confronted with a question that says, hey, do you want to do this? And, and immediately part of the inside view is like, well, what's in it for me? Or what's that going to take? Or that particular piece, you know, I have no idea where they came up with mm -hmm. that. But, you know, saying that takes five hours, that's crazy talk. Um, so, okay, so don't let that person make that presentation about, I'm going to save you five hours. If everything that pointed to that meant that they were wrong, we have to help everybody on every stage of it to understand if you're going to create a value contributing recommendation, know your facts, know your cost, know your facts. So Liz, as a parent of two girls that are very young to listen to this podcast, but I'll, I hope that they will listen to it in a few years. In the industry, we need more women in positions of power. We need more women pioneering and leading the industry. There's many girls and ladies and, and young women out there that look up to you as an inspiration. What do we need to do differently in this industry? What do you say to them? Nobody should tell you what you can do or you can't do. You are the person that's in charge of, of, of your own destiny. But we as people that come before the young people that, that need to break in and need to be our future, they need to know that they can ask the hard questions and they will get good, powerful answers. You know, having more women at the table is a, a wonderful thing to be able to aim for. They, they make up one half of the world. So shouldn't they be one half of the seats? The, the answer is it's, it's not quite there yet. But what we need to be doing is making sure that everyone is being presented with options, being presented with opportunity. And when you are in a position to decide on behalf of someone else or decide on a question that's being asked of you, think beyond just your own personal opportunity and your own personal um, journey, because we haven't lived the same life that other people have. So listen a little bit more, be a little bit more empathetic to how questions are being posed to you. If people are clunky in their delivery, maybe they just haven't learned enough. We owe it to ourselves to be good advocates to the people that are going to be working with us and be designing the future that we want. And young women in particular should not be told no just by the nature of gender, nor should anybody be told no based on asking it in slightly the wrong way or using slightly the wrong terminology. We can be 
open. We can be empathetic and we can be instrumental in making good positive change for everybody if we are motivated by those things that first and foremost start from integrity. Liz, thank you so much. You have shared great, great ideas with our listeners today. Thank you so much for your time. I love your passion on the topic. It is something that we consider to be very transformative. And we are trying to break a cycle of just a generic intent to be able to say, the world has changed. We need to rise to that challenge. We need to understand what are the business problems we're trying to solve and, and create ways that people want to embrace them and be part of them. So we're using the Flexera platform and we're using the concept of ITAM as a practice to really sort of drive full speed into the future. So when I got the note from you, I was like, I'm in. This, this is so my wheelhouse. Let's go be evangelical about what can we have happen to make everybody want to be a part of the solution. This episode was brought to you by Flexera providing IT management solutions that help organizations inform their IT so they can transform their IT. Please go check flexera.com to learn more. Thank you for tuning in.